This is Sage Talking. If your brain is ready to soak up some natural, informative, and no BS knowledge, then you're in the right place. Join me in talks about nature, people, health, sustainable businesses, and everything in between. You won't miss out on the occasional politics and interviews with ecopreneurs either. P.S. I want to know what you want to know. So send in questions or topic requests on my IG at thrive underscore by nature. Hey, and thank you for being here. Good day, everybody, and welcome back. Today, I'm talking to Michael Landon Lane, who organized a hunger strike on his home island of Tasmania with a few other people. He's telling us about the different stages of the strike, who came to visit them, what they achieved, um, and also the ups and downs of activism. Uh, we're talking about climate anxiety, how it manifests itself in different people, and also a few other climate-related things, like logging and forestry in Tasmania, uh, where they have beautiful old-growth um, trees trees and forests so stay tuned for that and thank you for listening my name is Micah Landon Lane um, I am living in Tasmania uh, the island state at the bottom of Australia at the moment it's where I spent most of my life growing up <clears throat> um, I am currently live in the capital Hobart and I have just less than a month ago started a PhD in seaweed aquaculture um, and also I've just completed a seven-day hunger strike um, for climate action where um, myself and a few other dedicated people went on hunger strike for up to seven days in front of the um, Tasmania's parliament um, demanding that the Tasmanian government declare a climate emergency um, to reflect the urgency of the climate crisis and um, to demand the, the Australian government, the federal government, um, stop approving new coal and gas projects uh, throughout Australia and also that they stop subsidising the fossil fuel industry with um, our tax money. Yeah, which is amazing that you did that. And um, could you also explain who organised the hunger strike, um, kind of how, how did you get involved with it and um, how kind of was it all set up? How was the process to getting there? Um, I would say that the self for getting involved probably started, um, uh, okay. So the, the organizers of the hunger strike, um, the, the organization that organized it was, um, Extinction Rebellion. Um, and I first started noticing them when they had quite a, Bit of success in the UK and so I got involved with it when it started in Tasmania here two years ago um, and in that the first uh, spring rebellion they had two years ago there was um, two older gentlemen who went on hunger strike um, for five days um, and 
they just sat in the in in one of the parks in Hobart in the in the town um, and they were also sleeping there to not only reflect the um, food scarcity that will result from climate change but also the mass migration and and homelessness that will result mm. um, so that was uh, really impressed me um, and I've kind of had that in the back of my mind for a long time and then just this time I knew that the the climate summit was coming up in um, COP26 was coming up in November um, and I was also quite uh, alarmed by the IPCC's latest report that um, issued a code red for humanity. I thought on the one hand that was really great um, because it is like, not that we haven't already had enough, but um, another wake up call that we need to do something right now. But then on the other hand, I thought ah, it's really not much time left and I was feeling really anxious um, and I thought I, I feel like I've got to do something if I don't do something it's it's I'm, I'm not really sure how to put it but I felt like if I didn't didn't act on that new information I would kind of be um, not living according to my 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 inner morals and that yeah. would be an uncomfortable thing yeah so I didn't really know what to do because I, I I didn't want to I didn't know how to do a hunger strike by myself uh, um, I saw so that Extinction Rebellion yeah. in Tasmania here was organizing um, or doing a planning event for a, a the spring rebellion that has just been just finished now at the end of October um, and that was about a month ago and I just uh, I went along and I had the idea that I wanted to do a hunger strike and I thought oh, maybe, I doubt there'll be anyone else that would be interested but you know I can put the idea out there and see what happens and it turns out there were at least two or three other people that had had that same idea so um, we kind of split off into our own group of four and um, from there met, I guess, almost twice a week for th four weeks to to plan out how this hunger strike would look. And how many people all in all were there with you? Yeah. Um, so at the end of the hunger strike, um, we, at, at the end of the seven days, we celebrated with a, um, obviously we broke our fast with a bit of a, a feast, um, and there were six people there. Mm -hmm. Um, and I was really thankful that my brother was one of them. He was, um, so there were, there were actually probably maybe like seven or eight people that participated in the hunger strike, um, a few of them did it from home um, and and we left it open to people to hunger strike for as long as they were comfortable and able to because not everyone could obviously easily get 
seven days off work. Yeah. So some people did 24 hours and they came in and sat with us for 24 hours and then went home. Um, and, and the, the, um, the core four of us that were the organizers went for a bit longer and it, um, there were one of us one of them had study commitments and realized that they couldn't study and do hunger striking at the same time so they they pulled out after a few days and then another one um had to work on the final day of the hunger strike and as a, a nurse and felt that they weren't able to and i would say rightly so they couldn't fulfill their their job capacity while they're on hunger strike so they finished early so yeah. it was myself and um, a um, a uh, a woman who works as a scientist who is fifty five, I think, who did the full seven days. Yeah, it's and I think that's really uh, great. And I also want to talk about later how the different stages of the hunger strike felt because I think many people can't even imagine what it feels like. And also, as you said, uh, I yeah. think some people kind of think it's just you're sitting there, you know, you're maybe a bit hungry, maybe feeling a bit weak at some time, and that you could still like sit there, read a book, study or whatever, which <laughs> does not work as well as people imagine. And no. um, also because you got the seven days off, um, from your professor who supported um, you with them. also as we've seen with Fridays for Future there were many schools who tried to discourage that and um, kind of uh, said that there would be penalties for students who would be striking on a Friday so your professor kind of how did he how did he react and um, how supportive was he about that yeah um, so it was it was something I guess I was a bit nervous about because I think traditionally in science um, it's uh, frowned upon to be a scientist and an advocate. Um, you're supposed to be impartial and objective, and you're not supposed to, you know, get worked up about the findings of your your study or someone else's. You're supposed to be like this unemotional thing, so. I was a bit nervous about how that would go down, um, but I, it was not something I was willing to <laughs> negotiate on. I was very set on doing this hunger strike. And so I, I asked my supervisor, look, I'm going to do this seven day long hunger strike. Should I start my PhD afterwards or would you like me to start before and, and give me a week off? And he said, no, I'd prefer that you start as soon as, soon as possible and then you can have that seven days off. Um, and that was a relief. Um, it was a relief to have that support. And um, actually, he uh, he came and visited during the hunger strike and um, was really impressed. And not that he, uh, I think, was I don't think he was at all inclined to join in, but <laughs> I think he respects it. Um, and I hope he would see it as a um, a sign of my motivation to to do things that are beyond myself how did the different stages of the hunger strike feel like yeah. i mean i i you always checked in on instagram which um was very great i think for people who followed you or um who kind of um then were made aware of this they could kind of see you because you were telling on different days oh this is an especially bad day right now it's yeah. feeling kind of okay so explain a little how the different stages were yeah 
Um, yeah, so I'd never done anything like this before. I think I had once in school, I don't know if people around the outside of Australia did this when they were in school, but there's a thing called the 40 hour famine um, that, um, I don't know, have you heard of that Stella? Okay. So the 40 hour famine was like something that school students would do to uh, raise awareness and raise money for um, people who go hungry around the world every day. So you go 40 hours without eating. And I'd done that when I was, oh, I don't know, a teenager and I found it so incredibly difficult. I did it, um, but it was not something I enjoyed at all. So that's about the closest I'd done to any kind of fasting um, or, or not eating at all. Um, but at the same time, I, I was pretty confident that I wasn't going to die well uh, yeah we all saw a doctor before we started the hunger strike just to get the clearance and um and you know the doctor would say oh you have this medical history maybe it's not good if you do this but um, my doctor said that there shouldn't be any issues um for seven days and i've heard of people doing it for much longer than seven days so i was fairly confident that it was just going to be uncomfortable but not a huge risk for my long-term health. Um, and so the, it, I think it was different from if you compare it to what I did compared to doing it at home, because if I was at home, there are two main differences. One is that I may be by myself. So there would be less, distractions where, where we did it we sat in a marquee or like a, a pop-up tent um, and there were always people around so you were never by yourself and your thoughts never kind of drifted off to food so that was an easier thing and there was also no fridge and pantry right next to me so there was no food around to tempt me so I actually the the intense feeling of hunger wasn't as bad as I thought it was going to be um, but that said, it was quite difficult for the first five days. I was hoping that, um, my body would get used to it after maybe three, but, um, it, every day got progressively harder, um, in terms of feeling weak, um, like I could walk and that was fine. But if I had to do anything that was like um, heavier physical activity, like lifting heavy things, or if I had to run fast, that would be uh, not possible. Mm -hmm. um, and also I could feel my heart much more than normal and it would beat much more loud than normal. Um, not necessarily faster, but that was also a little bit disconcerting, I think. And, and then also having headaches, just mild, but constant headaches and often on nausea as well. I don't know where that came from, but um, no matter how much water I would drink it, it, um, it they wouldn't go away. 
and the weather also was very cold. It's springtime in Tasmania and it's been one of the wettest um, Octobers on record and it also snowed not down where we were but on the mountains um, during the week and that was it's hard when you're not moving and you don't have any food to keep yourself warm. So that was really hard being cold and then feeling nauseous and a headache and weak. And, and then on top of that, you have to talk to the public who, who are coming past because we were in public on the, on parliament lawns. Um, and on that, on, on the people coming past for the most part, it was, supportive people or friends of ours, but there are always, particularly in Tasmania, where education levels are quite low, there are always people that <laughs> think you're silly, to put it nicely. Yeah. Um, yeah, and, I heard, I heard yeah. on your Instagram, you said there was one guy who like drove by and shouted something like get a job or something like that, <laughs> um, which I can imagine for people who do not understand something like that and uh, how as scary as it is, there are still people who do not believe in climate change, with, which I mean, it's not a religion. It's not something you either believe in or not, whether you do mm -hmm. or not, it is happening. Um, so how was, how was that? Was that kind of, um, did that happen more often? Um, were there people who also came up to you and said, you guys are crazy, why are you doing this? <laughs> That's um, yeah, so it wasn't as bad as I thought it was going to be. Um, I have, I guess this is a good point to, to put in that this is not my first, um, uh, my first time doing activism. Um, I have done other kinds of activism before, environmental and, and social justice activism. Um, I've never been arrested and I'm not interested in being arrested. But um, uh, yeah, So I have been in, in situations where people have yelled out mean things and <laughs> for some reason I, I can never not take it personally. <laughs> yeah, but um, I mean, that's, yeah. I, think, I think that's also the thing. You shouldn't feel any pressure to not take it personally because, I mean, um, other people are, feel free to share their feelings at that moment because obviously yeah. they're like, oh, what are you doing? Or that's so stupid or climate change is a hoax or whatever they're telling yeah. you. And I mean, they're, they're kind of taking that opportunity to voice their feelings. So, I mean, you can as well be like, you know, that's, that's not great. And um, you can as well, I guess, I mean, I would also personally feel I, I would first of all I would be very judgmental I would be like who are you that you're not believing in climate change and I would also be mad I guess I, I would feel personally attacked yeah yeah it I think it gets easier with time but um it, I again it's um it's very common in particularly Tasmania for people to um to put it another way, there's a big divide between people who are generally more educated and understand the need for environmental protection and the, the other side, which are people that um, 
have left school when they're 15 and have worked since then and um, just follow the the lines from the politicians that say that we just need jobs yeah um and it can be so in tasmania you you probably know from talking to some other people stella that um forestry practices in tasmania are not great and there has been a long history of activism here and i've done a little bit there and it it's it's um is if you're any kind of activist for protecting forest you're Im- immediately labeled a greenie or an environmentalist or a hippie yep. and all of the things that comes with that and it's in, in those in those actual activist situations it's not um it, it's not productive to actually have a conversation to try and change that person's mind in that moment because they're feeling they've gone to that that state of their brain that's just default to oh they're the other they're the other side and yeah they're wrong so I think when someone yells out get a job it's it's best to to know to ignore it actually in those in the moment it's best to ignore it because if you if you talk back they want attention and they're also not going to be convinced in those situations and um and at worst it can escalate a uh, potential conflict situation yeah definitely and i think um i mean there are even some activists who kind of um take lessons or try and teach themselves how to stay especially calm in those moments and I have also I I watch so many videos from especially animal rights activists who do like outreach Mm -hmm. on the street um or I read books there's also this one um professor who has I don't remember his name but he wrote uh down like this uh why people not specific to activism or things like that but why people react in this um very defensive way and also get Mm. get mad or or start um just Lettering anything that comes to their mind which which may completely be fiction and has nothing to do with actual facts just because of this defense mechanism of um feeling feeling overwhelmed not wanting to believe that something is true or being confronted with with new information about something and um them thinking you know this this can't be true and so they rely on this or this defense mechanism comes out and i think it's it's so hard in that moment to find a the right thing to say and b just to stay calm and collected and kind of um stay with yourself and rely on i i know what is right and i know my facts and um kind of trying to get but as you say that these situations also when you're in the middle of doing something like that is not the time to to try and educate other people on on what you're doing and on all of these topics and i think that's that's so hard because i i mean in in situations that were a lot less important than uh what you've done there hmm. i've also been in situations where i just felt like 
oh my god like I have this I, I'm not saying anything about it or I'm trying to to kind of say something that will be short and productive or effective mm-hmm. in that moment but you kind of have feeling in the pit of your stomach which is just like ugh, like you just want to say the exactly right thing because it's it's just so hard yeah yeah totally yeah I know what you mean it's um yeah it's definitely it's one thing if for example when we're doing the hunger strike it's one thing if someone drives past and yells out go get a job and it's another thing if someone comes up and is curious and says what's going on here then that's an invitation and the other one is just attention seeking yeah but i think also the like for example the guy who is driving by and shouting that oh go get a job i think in that moment if i were you i would have had this instant thought in my head to just be like oh at the moment i'm working on my phd and i'm actually trying to help (laughs) save the planet what are you doing but then that's always the thing like activists i think are sometimes put on this pedestal they're always supposed to be calm they're not ever supposed to get mad or they're not ever supposed to lash out because that would be one of those things that would be like in the headlines it's like activists are doing something where, where it's like okay as you said it is cold red for humanity this is a such a critical time and if you see all of this in action and and just to say it very uh black like it, it there's so much shit going on in, in this world that is not contributing at all to making these issues any better and then activists who are sometimes even putting their life on the line um with i mean a hunger strike is not always also or or different things that activists do there a lot of things are dangerous for themselves but they kind of mm. um put themselves in this position because it's so necessary and activism if if someone is doing environmental activism they're not doing that for themselves but really for all of humanity they're doing that even for the person who is mm. is is yelling at them at that moment and kind of telling them to like you're crazy what are you doing this for everybody and I think it's just it's it's really hard and I think activists should um as you said not be seen as this other side it's like we talked about this before there's this person who says okay um I I go to every protest I try to make my life as sustainable as I possibly can Mm. and then people see that and they're like okay you have labeled yourself a green person or a hippie or whatever they call it um you're kind of that person and so you have to do everything right I be that person I don't have to do anything and you can't get mad about it because I didn't say that I would you know and I think that's uh, also yeah a very uh, hard thing yeah yeah it is hard it is being an activist you do have to um well you can do activism however you like but if you want it to be effective I think the evidence shows that it needs to be non-violent yeah um peaceful and 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 so it's one thing to be nonviolent in your actions, um, but I I personally think that it really makes a difference in your in in anyone's activism in their life more broadly if they even take it further and try to practice 
nonviolence in words and even thoughts as well. Yeah. Um, which is not to say that you control your thoughts. Thoughts can be intrusive, but um, you know, I, I could I could think to myself about the person who tells me to go get a job. Oh, what a, what a loser! <laughs> he probably um, was the worst in school and left when he was fourteen because he was so dumb, and has just been working since then and now like hates people who are smarter than him and things like that. Yeah, but. And this is going like a long way <laughs> away, but I, that's, I don't believe that that's his fault that he thinks those things. Yeah, that's, definitely. That's, yeah. I mean, the fault of, of governments, the educational system, I mean, of all those big industries, which is, I mean, you can see the number one thing, climate, climate change and um, the role of um, the accumulation of too much CO2 uh, in the atmosphere. I mean, that is something that um, the oil industry just hid until the 1980s and um, told everybody, oh, you only have to reduce your personal footprint and make and do meat free yeah. Mondays and then, you know, climate change will be solved. So, of yeah. course, um, it's it's still really ingrained in society, all of those lies, all that deceit kind of um, that was intentionally planted. So uh, re-educating everybody is a, is a very, very hard thing and it still has a long, long way to go. Um, but I think it's great that you did that because it really sends a sign. And I mean, as you said, I mean, I guess there were a few people who came came up to you and then maybe, you know, they told other people about it. They were like, oh, I saw these people uh, doing this hunger strike and it, and it got them thinking. So it really sends a sign. But there may also be people who are like, oh, they're like, seven people sitting sitting there uh, under this tent and just not eating anything for seven days. What is that going to do? But I mean, you also got <laughs> visits from, from government officials, right? There were people who also actually from, yeah. from the government came by. What, how, how did that work? What did they say? Yeah. Yeah. So it was, it was so, I mean, in the beginning before the hunger strike, I had this I had a vision of what I wanted to do and what I thought was possible. But, you know, having three other people to help organize it made it into something that was just so much bigger than what I possibly could have imagined. Um, and we had, we had a huge impact. Um, we had a lot of media covering us multiple times from within Tasmania and a little bit in Australia, and someone even said that they found it being shared in um, in the UK and India as well. Um, so I think I think this action had a, a huge success, um, and 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 then also the uh, the impact across my I guess um, friends and uh, and broader social network. So many people sent me messages that uh, of support um, of and of deep gratitude for what I was doing, um, and it came from people that I didn't know cared about the issue so much, and I think possibly a lot of people are quite scared to say something on this issue because yeah, it, it might like you said before it other people will, be, will, will label them as 
oh you're you're such a a greenie or you know whatever that is um and and for me too I've had that I it feels it would have felt weird to post something on on Instagram saying I'm worried about the code red report but then when I actually did something about it it felt so easy and natural um so that was really freeing for me as well um because I can kind of incorporate that into um who I am and it and and if people don't like that in me it doesn't really matter yeah um, but and, surprisingly lots of people were really supportive yeah and um, i think that's that's so great because also as you said taking real life action and actually in, incorporating that in your real life is such a good outlet because many people who who realize that we're how how really huge these issues are it is kind of like eating them up in inside and it can really yeah. um, result yeah. in in depression and severe anxiety about the future mm-hmm. and um, things like that so actually finding something that you can put your energy in and where you can actually mm-hmm. that you can not just posting or talking about it but actually going uh, to a meeting of like in maybe an environmental organization that is near you or or joining a protest or doing something like that is such a good outlet because you feel accomplished after that you feel like I've, mm-hmm. I've put my energy into this and I've actually really gone and done something and I think that can be a big part in just personally tackling this eco anxiety and and not letting it drag you down but actually using that energy and that fear and channeling into some into something positive yeah that's spot on Stella um (laughs) yeah I've I've noticed that too and it's funny I don't know if you you read about that and then and then started noticing it but for me no one told me that doing something about what I was worried about would make me feel better I mean, okay, when I say it like that, it sounds so obvious, but... <laughs> no, I know what you, know. you mean. I, yeah. I think it's something where people... Actually, I I did not read about that. It was kind of learning by doing because at the yep. beginning, I'm just describing exactly what I felt because I felt sick to my stomach. There was like this pit in my stomach, which was like, because it's so overwhelming. I mean, once you realize these issues, it really feels like, okay... I mean, one person is so small and what I'm going to do is not going to mean anything to nobody. And um, I really am helpless in the situation. I think that's really what it mm-hmm. feels like. But if you start doing something and you meet other like-minded people, and even if you're just one person in, in a protest of a thousand people, and which is actually, I mean, then you're just one person in there, but but you make a difference there and you're kind of feeling yeah. this collective energy and you, you're feeling something move. And because you're a part of it, it makes you, it makes you feel just better about also yourself and what you're doing. Because as you said before, it's, it's important to kind of, yet use and and then also align your values or or what you've learned with with real life actions so yeah 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 it's 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 really interesting to me i would love to um read more about how how the mechanism is of it works because you know as soon as i started organizing 
the hunger strike and then doing the hunger strike and after the hunger strike i i'm not i'm not staying up at night worried about climate change um and even though it is still a code red for humanity and we're looking at all of our pledges at the moment um so this is prior to to the cop 26 of the current pledges i think the un the united nations said that if we follow through with what we currently have we'll have 2.7 degrees of warming which is just like not going to work um yeah which even though all of that yeah would, would, would be three to four degrees by the end of the century um yeah and that's just actually it's it's insane yeah Exactly. It's, it's not even worth thinking about. Um, so, uh, yeah, even though all of that is still happening um, or we're still working to f turn that around, having done something for whatever reason gives me peace of mind. And it's like when I'm worried about climate change, I think about all of the negative things that will come out of it, like, um, I, I look outside at the garden and the, the birds and, and the insects flying around in there. And I think like with extreme weather events, it might not be like this in, in 30 yeah. or 40 years time. And, and if I go for a walk in the, in the forest, in the bush, I, and I go to the, the alpine places and I think, well, these places are, are probably almost certainly going to be different and I find that really distressing when I'm in a negative frame of mind about climate change but when I'm in a positive frame of mind after having done something or in the middle of doing something I look around me and all of the people who are also equally as passionate and enthusiastic as I am and I think about all of the good that's coming out of this crisis um, because I think in one way, it's very unfortunate to be alive at the time of this crisis, but it's also very fortunate because I believe that at some point, the, the way that our global society functions with ever-increasing growth on a finite planet, we would reach our planet's boundary at some point it happens to be climate change that's making us reach that point, but it could be, um, you know, too much pollution of some other kind like plastic or heavy metals polluting our soils so we can't grow food in them or desertification or anything like that. It could be any of those things that uh, come to a crisis point and make us change. So it would have happened, I believe, at some point anyway, and climate change is giving us a huge opportunity to create a much fairer and abundant future. Um, it's just unfortunate that it has to come at the cost that it does. Yeah, I think exactly everything that you have just speaking my mind, especially the thing with like um, looking out into a garden or walking through a forest and kind of having these thoughts, which I think many people are scared of because it's like opening Pandora's box. It's like once you've seen this and once you've once you're really aware of what all of this means, what is going on, you can't go back. You can't unsee it. It's impossible. And then there are, as you said, on these bad days where you walk through a forest, um, 
or you you swim in a lake or you eat some food you think this might not be here when I'm grown up what will this look like and it's just really it can affect these days your days incredibly where where you might have read a lot of bad news um at at one time or whatever you're just in a bad mindset and I mean can definitely sometimes take out of your life I I feel at different times um and then of course yeah just having this liberating feeling of doing something about it is wonderful and and I mean many people also think they will lose friends or 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 be kind of disconnected from family members because people don't agree or they don't want to believe it and things like that but I think there's so many great people that you can meet through this and connect to I mean this um you and me talking about this is just one and talking about this we have a lot in common about how we think about this and it, it feels really good to connect to many people where you know and it, I think for me personally it also makes me feel a lot more safe because in times where you feel very alone with these topics because there are maybe not many people around you that feel the same way and then you talk to other people or you meet them at a at a protest or or at, a, at an event and then you suddenly see there are really a lot more people out there who care about these issues yeah yeah totally and that's another thing um exactly what you're saying that that when i'm yeah doing the hunger strike i have now <laughs> spent seven days sitting in a tent in the rain being miserable with um a three other people that now <laughs> for, through we've been through something so unusual we have such an intimate bond now um and that's that that comes down to I think um, having a community is so important to for obviously mental health so you're not lonely which yeah. is such a problem these days but um, having a community to rely on when you need help because everyone needs help whether they believe it or not at some points in their lives yeah um, I think is going to be so important for a happy future yeah definitely communities and also um as uh just low because it's all going to have to inevitably be more focused more locally and then your own community is is really really important and i i also want to because i mean you obviously had people there who cared as much as you and who cared about this issue but I, I think it's also so important to stress this point, which I say again and again, is that you and other people who were doing that, sitting in the rain, feeling miserable, maybe feeling like they couldn't really walk. It's the, This is not more your obligation than anybody else's to do mm. or to try and raise their voice. And I think this is also really important, kind of relating to what we touched on before, is those people who are walking by and looking at that. I'm not saying now that it's going to be a hunger strike. I'm mm. just saying, like, if, if you have, if you, if you know about these issues, 
then it is not because you said, okay, I'm going to do a hunger strike and I care about this. Again, with the labeling, it's not more your obligation to do something about this than all of the people walking by and looking at you and kind of thinking whatever they're thinking about it. And I think that's also so important, not putting who who, are, who have openly identified themselves as activists or environmentalists, but also knowing that every single person who, who knows about these issues and is not doing anything, whether it's small things in their life, like composting or shopping secondhand to reduce the impact of the fast fashion industry, it's, it is everybody's job and it is everybody's obligation just as a human on this planet. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, it is. And I think that an important point to touch on is um, if if anybody is starting to get interested in in activism or if they want to use another word, if activism is scary um, or has too much associated with it, just uh, if, if anybody's getting interested in trying to make change um, to to stop the climate crisis um it's it's really important to think about how you're feeling when you're scheming up and being creative what you want to do as in in terms of making a a stand about or or sending out your message um if you're feeling excited and enthusiastic about it that's how you want it to be um, and so I was feeling so enthusiastic about doing the, the hunger strike. I just could not be more excited to do it because, you know, I had, had all of this energy ready to go. And by the seventh day, I was really, I was very happy to be there and I was very happy to be finishing. I wouldn't really want to, um, I, I didn't want to have to sit there another few days. Yeah. <laughs> um, I can it's really important if anybody's getting involved in these kind of things to listen to how it feels, because if you're, we can, we can never do enough personally to help stop the climate crisis. And so the point at which you've done enough is when you feel that you, if you think about doing more, you get a bit of a tired feeling and you think, ah, oh, I wish I didn't have to do that or I, I would rather do something else with my time. That's the point when you should stop and do something else, do you something know, for yourself. Me. Yeah, I think that's that's really important because it is, I mean, it is very draining. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. So I think that's that's very important what you just said. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So- and then only start to think about it again when you're starting to think when you're starting to have some excitement about yeah. it. Yeah. And and just taking um yeah, at that point just taking a step back and taking a break, doing something else and also always I think next really still finding things to do that inspire you and I mean activism doesn't always or whatever you want to call it um community service or whatever it is it does not always have to be draining and it does not Mm -hmm. always have to be this example of a hunger strike it can be things that actually 
all together can be just fun. It doesn't always have to be yeah. something that is dangerous or draining, hanging yourself off a building or something That's like that. Right. It, it can be something that is very fun and that is more like just Imagine something with your community and at the end of the day feeling, okay, I've, I've really put my kind of two cents in the pot and I've kind of helped... I've kind of helped and I've put my energy into this and it can be a very good feeling. And um, I, I, obviously it's nice to see that in your case, you thought it was a success. You felt liberated afterwards. You felt like it, it moved something. And also um, some of the government officials or, or whoever came to see mm. you were, were there some who really, had very encouraging words for you. Were there some people that also visited you um, because, and they, they didn't agree or were they only hmm. people from government who supported that, who came and yeah. said, oh, and, and who just wanted to tell you, thank you for doing this. Or I think it's, <laughs> what, or did you also have anybody come and you could feel they were coming maybe out of obligation because they felt, oh, I have to show up here because they're doing this and like media coverage or whatever incentive they had. Yeah. 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 So yeah, I didn't get it. <laughs> I forgot to answer that question from before. Yes. We did have, um, along with the media attention, attention from pub, uh, politicians, which was very interesting. Um, this was, all new territory for me. I'd never been, I'd never spoken to a politician um, about an issue before. So I didn't know what to expect, but we had a lot of attention. Um, and it obviously, so that the, the Greens party or the environmental party here were, were obviously interested and they really were supportive of us. Um, but it was very, um, encouraging that there were a few independent politicians, so not aligned with any party, who came and talked to us um, throughout the week um, and expressed their support. So that was really encouraging too. Um, and we had, um, so the, the current government in Tasmania is, the, is a, a conservative government. Um, and uh, by that nature, they are slower on, on climate action, um, to put it nicely. <laughs> and we, had, we have a um, climate change minister here who um, did come and meet with us and sat with us for half an hour, which we thought was a long time for a, poli a busy politician. Yeah. Um, and uh, Tasmania at the moment is, is going through... Um, rewriting uh, the climate change uh, laws um, and one of the things that is coming out of that is an update we had a goal already of net zero by 2050 um, and they've updated that so this this conservative government has updated it to be now net zero by 2030 which um, sounds really great um, yeah, but it sounds less great when you realise that Tasmania has been at um, net zero or negative since 2013, except for one year. Um, so it kind of means nothing, nothing. changes. Yeah, 
um, when clearly we need to continue that downward um, that downward trend and keep taking carbon out of the atmosphere. Um, so this is one thing that we did talk about um, and, and I didn't know what to expect from talking with a politician. I mean, I know from just human nature, you can't change someone's mind on something in just one conversation generally, yeah. and especially not a politician who has advisors and all of that. But basically the conversation in overall, the conversation just went that we asked him questions and he didn't answer them directly or as they he, tend to do. <laughs> yes. And, or he answered them in line with what the government laws were currently. Yeah. Um, so it, I'm not sure exactly what the point of the, of the meeting was because he certainly didn't change our minds on anything. Um, but at the very least, it was a sign that the government was feeling pressure from our attention that we were generating and it was... Um, it can't have had a negative impact on him, what we were saying. So, for example, we were saying um, Tasmania, so Australia <laughs> obviously has a reputation for being big on fossil fuels, um, coal especially. Tasmania only has one coal mine, as far as I know. I could be wrong on that, but there's at least one. But it's not a big employer or industry here, so... One of the things that I asked him was, uh, it, it basically I asked him, it seems it would be very easy for us to ban um, uh, searching for fossil fuels in Tasmania Yeah. Um, since it's not really a big deal here and, and yeah, but, you know, he, he, can't, he can't rule anything out when... I guess the government is going through the laws and things like that and being a, a, a party that is interested in supporting business as much as possible, I don't think it would line up with their philosophy to ban something when potentially there could be some money to be made there. Yeah, um, which unfortunately is probably the case of every single government in the world. <laughs> yes, yes, um, yeah. Yeah, but also uh, because you you said that, would you quickly explain what it means that Tasmania is carbon negative or was for most? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, if if at any point I say something that doesn't wouldn't make sense to your audience, please ask me to explain. Yes. Yeah. So, um, I think a lot of so we need. The, the conversation at the moment about around climate change and our greenhouse gas emissions is that we need to um, turn our carbon emissions or our greenhouse gas emissions around. They're rising at the moment and we need to make them reduce and get to net zero emissions as fast as possible. And by net zero, that means not absolute zero it just means that the amount of um, carbon dioxide which is the the major greenhouse gas the amount of carbon dioxide going into the atmosphere needs to be equal to the amount of carbon dioxide being taken out of the atmosphere so that 
the total amount is zero that's going out because what goes out is also getting taken up in, for example, trees. Um, so Tasmania at the moment is at, or it's actually at very, very slightly negative, which means that it's taking more carbon out of the atmosphere than it is producing, which is great. Um, and it came down um, from being significantly positive, meaning that it was producing more carbon emissions than it was taking out. Um, and the only reason that this has happened is because there was, in Tasmania, forest, um, forestry is a, uh, a very big emitter of carbon emissions, like it is around the world, like with deforestation in the Amazon, I'm sure everyone's heard about, um, produces huge amounts of carbon dioxide because the trees that store all of the carbon are sawn down and uh, the vast majority of the mass of the tree is burnt and um, that goes into straight into the atmosphere. Yeah, and I also and, think uh, what people need to know is that if you cut down a tree, the carbon that has been captured by the tree also gets released. Um, so yeah. um, uh, the cutting of a tree itself also, yeah, as you said before, next to the burning and other things also uh, does emit CO2 back into the atmosphere. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so that's the same here in Tasmania. And Tasmania... Um, <sighs> it has a reputation for being really far behind the rest of the world in terms of um, technology and practices. And so um, some pe people who use, who use paper, they've probably seen a little FSC logo mm -hmm. or a, a forest stewardship yeah. council logo. Um, Tasmania is the forestry company is owned by the government and for years they've been trying to get certified by this forest stewardship council which basically means if they were certified it means they have more environmentally and socially friendly um, practices but they've been rejected time and time and again because they're just not environmentally friendly. And yeah, in like... which to put that into context is pretty crazy because generally almost, I mean, today in, in, in a lot of countries, especially Germany, everything, every paper product kind of is FSC yeah. certified just to put that into context, then it has yeah. to be really bad. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it needs that context because it is really bad. It's like, um, you know, I... Uh, a few years ago, I did some fundraising to protect um, rainforests in in South America around the Amazon, and and then I learned that the same thing is happening right here in Tasmania in this so-called developed world or de developed country, and it's it, it's it, it the best way to look at it is with humor, I think, because otherwise it's a bit sad, but. Um, yeah, so forestry, to get back to the point about emissions, forestry here is very, very not environmentally friendly um, and is pushing species to extinction. Um, and the government doesn't seem to want to do anything about it. Um, and 
so yeah sorry getting back to carbon emissions there was a big company here that um fell apart went bankrupt and they were the biggest forestry um company that worked with the 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 state-owned forestry logging organization and so when they went bankrupt we stopped cutting down a lot of trees and because we were not cutting down so many trees our carbon emissions um, went down and that is the only reason why our emissions went down to zero and then into negative is because we stopped cutting the trees down yeah and Um, and also you have so much old growth in tasmania beautiful such old huge trees which of course if um because the 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 important thing is also to protect that old growth these trees Mm -hmm. that are so old that are taking out much more carbon out of the air uh than a new tree that you would plant or a tree that is only like i don't know 30 20 years old so um yeah i guess <laughs> that is yeah. the one time where where bankruptcy or not the one time actually there are many companies that <laughs> they would go bankrupt and that's that's the thing because i mean it's not uh it's not a kind of these regulations or or laws that are kind of there to serve um, the environment and to kind of help uh, keep everything intact and the planet more healthy that is often Mm -hmm. seen as the problem and oh and the expensive and we can't afford um, kind of cleaning up our 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 industry or or everything but actually those companies and it's always about economy and and for the kind of the regulations and everything that is in place is aimed towards um, the the positive for the businesses and not really mm-hmm. for the people or the planet. So I mean, actually, those companies going bankrupt is is the greatest news ever if they do get bankrupt go bankrupt yeah. because if a company stops doing that dirty work, that's only good for everybody. And I mean, e- economy is something that is interchangeable. You can always change it around. It's been changed and it it has changed so many times. Um, and there are just different businesses that that go bankrupt and then go out of business, and then you 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 have that chance to start new ones that are actually serving the environment and the people. Mm. Yeah, that's right. Um, yeah, it's a it is, and and yeah, there's there's so many things that are so completely um, like like you couldn't imagine them how in a, in a story how how crazy they are about forestry in Tasmania but um for example the the government subsidizes the cutting down of our old growth forest the government yeah. actually loses money cutting down these forests yeah. and subsidizes them and i think it's about 15 or more million dollars a year loss from people who pay taxes yeah and most people don't want these trees cut down but I think to be clear um well firstly I'm not a forestry scientist so I don't I can't claim to be an expert on these things but to my understanding the problem with cutting down these old growth things if you take out all of the things about the 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 habitat that these trees provide for uh, threatened species um, 
if you just focus on the emissions, the older trees don't soak up carbon as fast as a younger tree. They slow down their growth, but the problem is cutting them down means that well, for the first thing here, most of the trees cut down in Tasmania, these 300 year old trees sometimes or more, they get turned into wood chips and sent to Asia. So they're not even being turned often into furniture. And then the wood chips are burnt or they break down and release all of the carbon. So the problem is that all of those tons and tons of carbon in these huge old trees go straight into the atmosphere. But then the forestry can say, hey, but we're planting these new trees that grow really fast and they're taking all the carbon out of the atmosphere. But the problem is that you've just lost so much, you can't, it, it, it's like, it, do, it doesn't make sense. The yeah. mass. And, and also the problem is just that these trees that are such, that are in forests that are already old growth, they in themselves have over hundreds of years formed um, a this this impeccably working ecosystem where there are different species different plants and it works and it is is working it has formed its own ecosystem but of course if you take a, a huge chunk of that away or you just start cutting down trees you are disturbing that entire ecosystem and as you said animals and plants lose their habitats and you can see that because if you cut down an area of old growth and you plant new trees, you're disturbing that ecosystem. And often you get things like overgrowth, like where there are a lot of like thorns and, and different mm -hmm. um, very invasive weeds that find their way because I mean, trees have a very own way of regulating that ecosystem. And it takes mm -hmm. uh, a certain amount of trees to form a forest because I mean, 10 trees, 50 trees, it's, it's not yet a forest. And um, I think it's just important also for people to realize how vast that impact and how negative that impact is on just messing with with the ecosystems the way we're doing whether it's forests whether it's oceans it, it, it doesn't matter anything it's 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 so dangerous actually which is seen as so normal mm -hmm. yeah so yeah 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 and i think it's it's one really clear thing about a problem with cutting down an old tree is that Older trees, they grow and then they get damaged by weather or they drop um, their limbs and then they, where the limbs have fallen off or the damage is, it creates a hollow which allows things like birds or um, other animals that climb trees a home. But at least here in Tasmania, it often takes trees 70 or 80 years to get to the size where they can create a hollow. So if even in the best, uh, best logging practices here, where they take out uh, so-called selectively logging, where they just take out the big trees and leave only younger trees, even if the younger trees are as tall as the older trees, they're not old enough to have these hollows. And I think the researchers found that one of the biggest limiting factors for um, the abundance of species has been the amount of hollows available so it, it, even in the worst case here in Tasmania where we will clear the whole thing and then bulldoze all of the rest of the wood and burn it in a big fire 
um, obviously that's not going to leave anything left, but even in the best case, um, if in terms of climate and the biodiversity crisis, the best thing to do would be to not log native forests, whether it's old growth or even if it's been selectively logged. Yeah. And um, yeah, I guess it's just the thing that every, every ecosystem, as you said, if it's, if it's creating hollows or, or whatever it is, naturally here on this planet is perfect and has its own perfect way of regulating things and it's only the human interference that is messing everything up mm. because um as uh, many people always say it's not what people don't often don't realize for themselves is not that we need to protect the environment what we're actually doing is we're just protecting ourselves or trying um because mm -hmm. nature would be far off better without us so it's not actually just protecting the environment and um, kind of trying to stop the climate crisis but just stopping a crisis of inhumanity kind of um, so yeah just to to end this because I think I might even have to make this into two episodes this is the longest oh that would be lovely on the podcast um, because it was just so great also to talk to you and it's so important to hear also personally and um, what this meant for you doing this hunger strike and, and 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 kind of just trying for everybody who who is also listening to this who may not agree or may not think the same way it's just if people are doing things like this and they are all over the world whether they're getting media coverage or whether it's trending on instagram uh, it, it doesn't matter even if people are not getting covered and they're not major stories in the news. People are doing things like these all over the world because yeah. they are seeing just how drastic this is and, and the time that we're in and what just this turning point, because this is literally 1.5 degrees, the, the point of no return. I mean, this is, this is everywhere. Everybody should know that. And mm -hmm. um, yeah, it's it's just really I hope that some of the things you just the people you directly impacted that maybe walk by you seeing you on your hunger strike that this is just another way of spreading the message and saying you know do something everybody in in your own life and and wake up to this crisis because it is here and is not something that we will have to deal with in the distant future yeah yeah and the the momentum that's building for for climate action is growing so fast every day and getting faster and faster and it is absolutely not the time to be complacent and waiting for someone else or something else to come and save us for example the australian government just wants to increase coal and gas exports and wants to have technology save us which is not based on science. Yeah. Um, so there are there is a lot of work to do, but it is very heartening for me to see that more and more people are getting involved in this, and I have a lot of optimism for. You know, in two or three or four years, I think um, the world is going to look so different, and we all have a role to play yeah 
Definitely. And I'm looking forward to all the positive changes. And as you said, the momentum is building all around the world. And it's important also for everybody. Um, because I think COP26 is actually starting today. Today is the 30th um, of October. And I think mm -hmm. it's going to be till the 15th of November. So even things like that, those huge or those summits that are hyped up everywhere in the media, where, where people come together who are world leaders and um, talk about these things is um, even if, again, people may be disappointed by the outcome, uh, the, this momentum of communities coming together, of, of individual people creating these movements that, that has been so much bigger than these summits where people come together and flying from all, all over the world and discuss these technicalities maybe, is that we already have a huge movement upon the people um, that governments have never funded, have never supported, um, may not support in the near future. And there is already a huge movement going on and everybody can, can be part of that. So I think that's very empowering. Yeah, you said it, Stella. <laughs> okay, thank you so much, Micah, for joining me today. It was really lovely um, talking to you. And um, may who knows, maybe we'll do another episode soon because obviously there's <laughs> so much to talk about that it can't even fit in one episode. Yeah, fantastic. I look forward to it very much. Okay, thank you so much. Have a lovely rest of your day. Yeah, you too, Stella. Bye. Thank you everybody for tuning in today. If you liked this episode, then please feel free to leave me a review uh, so I know if you enjoyed it. Uh, share it with friends and family if you like. Also, Micah's Instagram uh, is linked down below. So if you want to ask him any questions, go right ahead. Thank you for being here today and I hope to see you next time. Bye!